Hello, everybody. My name is Daniel Prince, and I am the host of the Once Bitten podcast. This is a podcast focused on Bitcoin. It's my mission to interview as many people as I can around the different aspects of Bitcoin and help people understand exactly what Bitcoin could mean for them and for their families and for their future. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. Hey guys, welcome to this edition of the Once Bitten Podcast. Joining me today is Anthony J, the author of the book Estro Generation, which I highly recommend you pick up a copy and get down this rabbit hole. This is not about Bitcoin. I know you guys like getting out there into the wings of the um, the rabbit hole, into the, these little different warrens, whether that's health, nutrition, science. This is a brilliant episode for those of you that are wondering what's actually in these plastics that we're using, uh, what's actually in the water supplies, uh, what are estrogenics. So sit back and enjoy. Anthony, thank you so much for your work and thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, before we get started, guys, if you're new here or you're being shared this episode by one of your Bitcoin friends because it is not a Bitcoin episode per se, but something you might find interesting. Um, or if you're new here because the, the price of Bitcoin has started to pump and you are finding a newfound interest in what this asset might be, please take things slow and steady. There is an order in which you might want to do this. Uh, set up a fiat cost average scheme. What does that mean? Buy small amounts of Bitcoin on a regular basis. In the US, you can do that with Swan Bitcoin. In the UK and across Europe, you can do that with Coin Corner or another firm called Relay, R-E-L-A-I. These are all Bitcoiner companies and they are they, they have your best interest at heart. Uh, they also do a lot around the education of Bitcoin. So make sure you're reading their blogs or visiting their websites. Uh, in the case of Swan and Relay, they have a white glove private service so they can help you stack in a larger amount if that is what you are looking to do. That is an option for you. If you're a little bit more advanced, if you want to get KYC free Bitcoin, you can use a global peer-to-peer -peer trading platform that's called HODL HODL. And you can hit the link in the show notes for a discount on commissions. Just visit the site, find the right price for you in the right currency for you, in the right method for you, and you can start trading peer-to-peer -peer globally and buying some Bitcoin. Uh, for those of you more advanced who might already have a stack and are considering upping your privacy game, you can use a CoinJoin service. The one I am recommending at the moment, purely because I met Max and he's been on the show a couple of times and he's talked me through it, wasabiwallet.io. You can go back and listen to that episode. You can download this free software from the internet, free open source software from the internet, and create your first wallet and run a few Satoshis through it to see if this is a service that you might want to consider using more going forward. But what is essential to your Bitcoin career, your Bitcoin steps, is to take control of those keys. And you can do that with a signing device or a hardware wallet through shiftcrypto.ch forward slash Bitten. Use that link and use the code Bitten to get a 5% discount on the Bitbox 02 Bitcoin only edition hardware wallet. Join Orange Pill app on Android or 
uh, iOS. And make sure you get to a conference this year. I look forward to seeing you either Prague or Miami. Enjoy this app with Anthony. All right, we're here with Dr. Anthony J, the uh, the author of uh, the book that I've just been reading, Astrogenics, which has been blowing my mind and, and kind of uh, affirming a lot of beliefs I already had and suspected. So thank you for your work. Uh, but of course, Lauren is here to to ask the first question. Perfect. Hi. So my question Hello. is, um, what are estrogenics? <laughs> Yeah, That's right. So estrogen, and we have natural estrogen in our body, right? We have hormones in our body, including estrogen. And estrogenics is literally anything that acts like estrogen in your body. So that could be natural estrogen. Natural estrogen is an estrogenic, right? But so is birth control, which is not a natural estrogen. It's an artificial estrogen. Um, so is plastics, like certain plastic chemicals, like to make a plastic bottle or to make, uh, you know, baby chew toys in some cases, things like that. Those chemicals also act like estrogen in your body. They confuse your body. They trick your body into thinking this is natural estrogen, even though it's not natural estrogen. And there's a lot of fragrance chemicals that are also estrogenic that confuse your body. They act like estrogen in your body. Uh, and there's a lot of chemicals that are sprayed on plants, you know, like atrazine and things. So it's basically, the definition is basically any chemical that acts like estrogen in your body, whether it's natural or artificial. Right. So it's like soy sauce one is like peanut oil or whatever they, they call it. Is like, so, are they like not um, natural estrogenics? Soy sauce. Is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah, like so soy, soybeans, right? Plants in general have hormones, just like we have hormones. Humans have hormones. Um, and plants have different hormones. They're not the same as humans. But sometimes those hormones in plants act like human hormones. They confuse your hormones just the same way plastic chemicals confuse your hormones or fragrance chemicals confuse your hormones. And soy is one of these plants that has a chemical. It's called isoflavone, I-S-O-F-L-A-V-O-N-E, isoflavone. And isoflavone acts like estrogen in your body. All scientists agree with this, by the way. Like, it's not debated. Some scientists tell you it's good for you. Some scientists say it's bad for you. But they all agree it acts like estrogen, right? Now, the, the interesting thing about soy sauce is if you ferment soy, like using natural microorganisms and fermentation and make good quality soy sauce, it breaks those little microorganisms that do the fermentation process. They break down the estrogen. So there's no isoflavone in soy sauce. There's like a tiny, tiny, tiny bit, but it's not enough to impact your health in any way. So soy sauce is actually unique, but if you're eating soybeans or if you're eating uh, tofu or any other kind of product that's made from soy, that doesn't have fermentation, it'll have a lot of this plant estrogen. So even certain plants like soy can act like estrogen in your body. It's a good question. Thank you. All right. Yeah. Wow. Now it's not just me ones. that goes on and on about this kind of stuff. It's a doctor too. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, a, it's complicated, right? Because the problem is 
there's companies that make a lot of money on soy. Like soy is considered a commodity, just like coffee beans. So you can dry out the seeds and, and they have certain established prices across the globe and you can sell it. It's almost like a currency. It's almost like gold, right? Or silver. Mm -hmm. And so because our financial institutions are very, uh, you know, they're very dependent on these commodities that uh, there's a lot of protection for it, right? Even if it's bad for you, they don't want to admit that because there's a lot of money on the line. So anytime there's a lot of money involved, there's potential for a lot more corruption. And so it's hard to decipher the corruption versus the truth when it comes to things like soy, because there's a lot of people that would lose a lot of money if we got rid of soy. <laughs> you know what I mean? So that's another factor to pay attention to in the discussion of soy. And another rabbit hole to go down. Yeah, the vegetarians will not like this. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. That's true. That's true. Well, it's funny because you don't have to eat soy to be a vegetarian, but there's so many companies that make vegetarian products that use soy. Uh, I've personally been invited to speak at vegetarian conferences or on vegetarian podcasts, and then they remove my invitation when they discover I'm against soy. Not because they, they just don't want to hear my opinion. Like if you're, if I'm against soy, they don't want me to. Right. So they want to control the information that people are getting on this topic and they don't want both sides of the information. And I'm okay to not even talk about soy. Like, I don't feel like soy is the only thing that I talk about, but just because I personally have this, I fall on this side of that argument. They, you're correct. Like, I'm glad you went right to the vegetarians because that's really funny that they're so religious about that specific topic or cultish, right? They're not religious, they're cultish. It's like a cult, which is sad. Yeah, wow. Okay. What well, do you want to say goodnight? Yep. Anyways, bye. Good night. Yeah. You. Take care. Thanks for jumping yep, on. You too. We can we can stay on soy if you want. <laughs> well, yeah, and I'll get into a little bit more of the the depth here because you know you can find studies that say it's beneficial. You find studies that say it's bad. Like I said, um, estrogen is a little more complicated because, like testosterone, right? Um, if like, if you have testosterone in your body, there's one receptor that picks it up. It's very simple. It's called the androgen receptor. So testosterone is going around your bloodstream and your cells can pick it up with this receptor called the androgen receptor. Now, estrogen is more complicated because there's two receptors that pick it up. One's called estrogen receptor alpha and the other one's called estrogen receptor beta. So that's more complicated, right? There's two things that pick it up. And the alpha receptor is generally bad for you. Now it's natural. It's something in your body. It's, it's only supposed to be flipped on, or it's only supposed to be grabbing estrogen during in utero, like when you're in the womb developing sexually. And then for the rest of your life, it's not really supposed to be activated. It increases breast cancer risk. It increases prostate cancer risk. It increases depression. There's not, you're not supposed to be flipping on the alpha receptor throughout your adult life. You're only supposed to be doing that in the womb during sexual development. The beta receptor, on the other hand, the other one for soy or excuse me for estrogen remember there's two receptors that pick up estrogen alpha beta alpha is bad the beta is good the beta is protective against breast cancer protective against prostate cancer protective 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 it helps protect against alzheimer's um the argument 
for and against soy revolves around the alpha and beta receptors. Does that make sense? Yes. Meaning like people that say soy is good, say it's because it activates the beta receptor and people that say it's bad, like myself, say it's because it activates both receptors. It actually activates alpha and beta. And the problem with that is, you know, like you're getting some positives in some people, but other people that are more sensitive to problems with the alpha receptor have more problems with soy. So it's individual specific, but my, my take is look, We've got phthalates, we've got BPA, we've got parabens, we've got all these fragrance chemicals that act like estrogen. We've got all of these other chemicals, red for, like red food coloring in America. In some countries, that's illegal. But the stuff that we use in America can screw with your hormones. Uh, we've got all these different chemicals that are screwing up our hormones and lowering our testosterone. The last thing we need is more estrogen. And soy definitely acts like estrogen. I mean, again, everybody agrees with that. That's the last thing we need. And so my take is like, look, whether it's good or bad, who cares? It, it acts like estrogen. Let's get rid of it and move on. <laughs> so it's, it's such it's a deep topic though, isn't it? And this is what I love about uh, your book. And my listeners love going down these, these rabbit holes. Uh, I, I've no idea if you're aware of Bitcoiners and the Bitcoin space or, you know, oh, sure, out... a little bit. yeah. Okay. Uh, this is what we do. We love meeting people like yourself who has done the actual work, proof of work, uh, like the, your, you, your book goes into so many of the details and it's a fun read, by the way. I'd never been a, I've, I've never fished, but now mm -hmm. I might want to start fishing, just, just listening to oh, yeah. some of your tales in, the, uh, you know, in each chapter. Um, yeah. and, and Soy has been on uh, the Bitcoiners' radar along with seed oils, uh, and along oh, yeah. with um, sunscreen, yep, yep, for at least the last two or three, even four or five years, talking about it constantly and veganism and vegetarianism. Um, some go to complete opposite; they go all the way to carnivore. Others are, you know, somewhere in the middle, either paleo, keto, whatever. Uh, and it all keeps coming back to. Uh, you know, soy does seem to be like one of these anchors that mm -hmm. is. And when you follow the money, which you also like to do, which is exactly what we love to do, because we see Bitcoin as a new form of money, sound money. Um, you, it's so easy to see through it, like immediately. Yep. When you yep. see the monetary incentives behind tricking everybody into believing that soy milk is good for you or soy yeah. bean oil or yeah. fake meat made of soy protein because it's protein and it's good for you. And like, it's mm -hmm. just, can you explain to people the difference between a meat-based and a plant-based protein like soy, for example? Yeah. Well, you know, what's funny. There's a study on the topic of fiber. Um, and this, this will circle back, but, um, in fact, I'll get you to the title. Can I share the screen or is that impossible on my end with the privacy settings? Um, um, good question. Copy. Yeah, I mean, I can always email it to you too, and then you can share it. Yep. We get these. I know it's kind of lame for people listening to this, but we can, I'll do it really quickly here. Um, you know, and the reason I'm bringing this up, this, this fiber topic, right, is because 
if you go to the doctor and you've got some gut issues, what do they tell you? Well, eat more fiber. Mm -hmm. right? And plants, of course, are the source of fiber. You don't have any dietary fiber. If you cut open your arm, there's muscle fiber, but that's made from collagen. That's protein. Um, I just emailed you this study that way, but you don't have to worry okay, about great. privacy settings. But um, if you cut open your arm, there's no fiber, right? Again, there's muscle fiber, but that's not dietary fiber. That's not the stuff that med medical doctors talk about. And, <laughs> you know, you don't have fiber in your body. So why is it so important for us to have all this fiber? And plants, they don't just have fiber. They've got different types of fats. You know how, like, they say don't eat bacon because it has saturated fat and that raises your cholesterol. Well, guess what kind of fat you have predominantly throughout your body? It's saturated fat. It's totally natural to eat animal fats because your body has animal fats. We're animals. Um, we don't photosynthesize sunshine and energy, right? We're not converting sunshine. Uh, you know, we're not, we're not using CO2, carbon dioxide, and spitting out oxygen. We're doing the opposite of that. So plants have all these weird proteins to do photosynthesis. They have all these weird fats. They have all this weird fiber. Everything about them, even the plant cholesterol is different. It's called cytosterol. If people want to go down a real rabbit hole, they can look up cytosterols and cytosterolemia and how it clogs up your gallbladder in, in certain cases and things like that. And in other words, plants just are completely different than, than our bodies and our systems. So oftentimes if you have gut issues, for example, again, what does the doctor say? What's conventional medicine? How are mm -hmm. they trained? Eat lots of plants. That's what they tell you. Do you see the study yet? Did it come through? Um, it, it, one second. They also tell you yeah, so, one of the classics is uh, you need more fiber in your diet. And then they um, exactly. like, uh, yeah, go out and get some bran flakes. Like, yeah, actual exactly. poison. <laughs> well, yeah like grains and stuff well yeah. that's what i want to i want to show you the actual data um all right because it's completely the opposite of what people are told yeah world journal of uh gastroenterology Enterology. all got, right yeah okay got, so open so open that and share it if you can on the screen and i'll show you uh what i want to focus on because it looks like a study on the topic of constipation but it's actually way more interesting than that um are you able to share Oh, there it is. Yeah. Yeah. So, so scroll down to page two or three or whatever. There's a gray box where it says table one. Um, perfect. Table or table one. two. So yeah, you see table two here where it says symptoms at presentation. Hmm. Um, do you see the column? Of course, it says symptoms at presentation n equals 63. Mm -hmm. That means they have 63 people on this site. So it's not like a giant study. It's, it's just 63 people, but these people, 31 of them literally bleeding out their ass. Anal bleeding, 31 of the 63, right? This is people with severe gut issues. This isn't like a normal study of just normal, healthy people. Everybody's got constipation. You see that 63 out of 63? Yep. 33 are bloated, et cetera. So half of the people are bloated. Now you see the next column, high dietary fiber, N equals six. So they took six people out of the original 63. And guess what they fed them? I mean, you can tell me, Daniel, you just told me. Yep. Right? What do you think they fed Exactly. Bran flakes, whole grains, quote unquote, healthy whole grains, lots of veggies. Uh, you mean the of base those... of the food pyramid, Anthony? Is that what exactly, you're about? Exactly. What we're supposed to eat. <laughs> right. That's what they had these people. Eat. Uh, four out of the six people still have anal bleeding. Six out of six uh, are constipated. Now everybody's bloated. Do you see that? Six out of six mm -hmm. are bloated. It used to be like half of them are bloated. Now everybody's bloated. Now, most importantly, look at the far right column. Mm -hmm. zero, di no dietary fiber, 
N equals 41 people. They took 41 of the 63 people bleeding out their ass, constipated, bloated, all this stuff. Now what happens? Guess what they fed them? Like no dietary fiber. I mean, you tell me what you think they fed them. Meat. Just meat. Exactly what they fed them. Now they have no anal bleeding, zero anal bleeding. They completely fixed the problem. Zero constipation, zero bloatedness, zero strain, zero pain. Um, why don't doctors tell people this? Because there's a narrative that red meat raises your cholesterol, therefore it's bad. There's a narrative that we need fiber and things like that. There's a narrative, right? And honestly, mm -hmm. they don't really want to fix the problem because the prescription drugs, they're making a killing on this stuff. You know, it's like when you pay a monthly membership to Netflix, those companies love it when you can, when they can get you on the monthly fees, right? And they make a lot more money in the long term. It's the same thing with like the prescription drug market is a monthly membership thing. You're, you're, you're becoming a member to the statin club and you're becoming a member to the Prozacs and the Zolofs and the Lexapros and whatever else. And so they're making a ton of money. So why would they want you to really fix? And by the way, the reason I bring up Prozac and Lexapro and Zoloft Number one, in America, like 20% of adults are on those drugs. And number two, they 95% um, of your serotonin is made in the gut, right? So the way you fix serotonin issues, those are all serotonin drugs. The way you fix those is you just eat healthy. It's that simple. And, and how do you eat healthy? You eat lots of meat. I mean, we just saw the data. The, the plant products, including plant proteins, plant fiber, uh, plant fats, they're foreign materials to your body. And I'm not saying they're bad for you, but they're more stressful for your gut, right? They're more stressful for your body. It's more work for you to process that stuff. It's different. It's not the same. It's not just protein versus other protein. It's animal versus plant protein, right? So it's called bioavailability, but it's not just bioavailability. It's harsh. Like some people that have sensitive guts is straight up. It's like putting sandpaper in their gut lining, right? So it's not some, everybody's different. I mean, that's why I do DNA consulting. I actually look at people's genetics and, um, and if you ever do that, use an alias and make up a fake name and you can buy it with a prepaid credit card. So your name's not associated whatsoever with this stuff. But, you know, I do that because we have the technology to look at individual genetics with people and say, look, this person's super dairy sensitive. This person has terrible anxiety genes. And here's how you fix them at the root cause level. This person has sleep issues because they're blue light sensitive or whatever. Like there's so many that we have, you know, 25,000 genes. So there's a lot of data that you can get from that relative to your joints and your heart disease and your gut health and everything. So my whole philosophy is like, our ancestors weren't taking prescription drugs and they weren't ingesting BPA and using plastic bottles and having their babies sucking on plastic and all this other crazy stuff. Our ancestors weren't doing it. So let's at least start with skepticism and assume that stuff is bad for you until it's proven to be super, super safe, which it's not, you know, I, I know I want to get, I, you brought up babies and this is a perfect segue into something that has troubled me for a, for a while. The amount of, um, you know, we've got four kids, you know, I've been through the mill and I've seen the tricks. Now I'm more open to the tricks that the doctors play uh, on, especially uh, new parents um, with the fear of whether it's uh, injections or extra drugs or extra proteins or extra steroids or all of this kind of shit. Mm -hmm. And then actually trying to fit in your birth around their schedule with uh you know that, that they might want to induce the birth and all oh, yeah. of this kind of 
it's utterly it's complete nonsense but then you know post-birth then it really starts that's when you have two people at possibly the most vulnerable time of their life you can fear sell them almost anything yeah and walk them down a path that they should never have been on in the first place. And I have a very grave feeling that what we're seeing today with this confusion in air quotes over people's sexuality could be directly linked to the amount of baby formula and the amount of soy that was pushed on new parents when the woman was convinced perhaps breastfeeding isn't for you. And it's fucking sick. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've had people that are, uh, you know, uh, like all kinds of different people, honestly, but transgender people literally email me and say, I'm, I'm convinced after reading your book and, and, and looking into this, that's because of these chemicals that I was exposed to that I'm transgender. And it's like, at that point, what are you going to do, right? I'm not going to be judgy about it, but, but if they're convinced you know, that further validates the reality because they talk about all the chemicals, the excess chemicals that they were exposed to more than most people. And here's where, and here's why. And, you know, and, and even in animal studies, I mean, you've seen it in my book, if you like male brains versus female brains are different, even in mice and rats, you know, like you can quantify this. It's, it's, it's scientific based. And if you give them a bunch of plastic exposures and things like this, it literally causes sexual apathy. It changes male motivation to do things. It causes general apathy too, just where we don't care about anything. And there's part of it, you know, there's always that conspiracy there too, where if you can cause a population to become apathetic, then you can retain power over them much easier, right? And testosterone is the antidote to that because testosterone is very dominant and very, uh, go-getter and you know what i mean it's it's a hormone i mean when people replace their testosterone if it's low they notice immediately i had a medical doctor once who did it he uh he replaced his testosterone and he said to me well the best way i can describe it is when i say no i mean no now and when i used to say no i used to just be like no you know like it was kind of a question mark at the end um that's kind of how he described it he really felt you know more uh I don't know, you know, you want to say aggressive, but it's not really that. It's just more emphatic, more energy, assertive, more motivation, masculine, yeah, assertive. Exactly. So um, some people for sure out there, they want you in the other direction. And I don't think it's natural. I don't think it's healthy. And, and our culture has been going that direction since the eighties, to be honest. I mean, mm-hmm. In the 1980s, the average male was 500 on their total testosterone. Nowadays, it's closer to 250. And if you get a 250, the doctor tells you it's fine. And that's nonsense. Even 500 is pretty darn low, to be honest, you know. But, you know, yeah, it's it's, the other problem, too. The other problem, Daniel, is that, and I've seen this personally all the time, right? I've had, I talked to three people today. I had three DNA consults today already. So I talk to people every day about this stuff. And I've been doing it since 2010. Um, when you get people on testosterone replacement therapy, oftentimes they get rid of all six of their prescription drugs. Why? Hmm. Because now their blood pressure goes down and their inflammation goes down and their, uh, their whatever goes down, like their depression goes away, right? Like whatever the drugs are. Um, 
so drug companies freaking hate that you know what i mean like so they demonize it they try and tell you oh it's going to cause aggression or it's going to cause your testes to shrivel up and never work again or you're going to get addicted to testosterone and by the way i'm not a, i'm not like an immediate proponent of just going straight to testosterone replacement therapy I prefer people to naturally bring up their testosterone first and, and use testosterone replacement as last ditch resort. Let's, but I'm how a big do we fan do that? It. That's what the how listeners are going to want to know. Yeah, what are the actionable oh, yeah. points here? And for women too, for sure. right? This is this is an women important too, point. Women too, 100%. Can you explain why for women too? Oh, yeah. Like what's really crazy on women is if you go to the doctor and you check your testosterone, sometimes if you get zero, you have absolutely no testosterone, they'll tell you that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> like they even say the normal range for women's testosterone is zero to hundred on some blood tests, which is completely insane. It's literally insane. And for men, they have this normal range that just they've widened and widened and widened to accompany every. So basically as sick as you can possibly be, they'll still tell you that you're fine. But, um, I mean, what was the original question? Why is to, Oh, how do you naturally raise it? Right. Yes. A ton of different ways. I mean, Nutrient deficiencies will lower your testosterone. So eat healthy, um, you know, exercise. If you're never exercising, you know, that'll lower your testosterone. So exercise. So there's some basic things that people aren't sometimes doing, but most specifically, you know, avoiding these estrogenics is how you raise your testosterone. I've seen people double it all the time. Almost every day I get emails like, Hey, I was at 300. Now I'm at 600. And all I did was raise my you know get rid of the plastics and the personal care products and filtering my drinking water happens all the time so that's low hanging fruit like start there because the nice thing about getting rid of these fragrance chemicals that are artificial and getting your drinking water filtered and not storing it in plastics is that doesn't it's not as hard as working out like going to the gym every day for a year takes a lot of discipline that's hard and if your testosterone is super low it's especially hard to have shitty energy and you, you don't feel like going to the gym but if you get the testosterone up with these simple, like just avoidance tactics, then your testosterone is how you feel like going to the gym. And then it further feeds forward. It's called like a feed forward cycle, right? It's instead of a negative feedback, it's a positive feedback where you have more energy. So your testosterone goes up because you're doing more working out and then you have more energy. So you do it more, you know what I mean? Feed forward. Um, but start with the fake estrogens because those aren't good for anybody. I mean, men or women, they're not good for fertility. They're not good for your mental health. You know, for example, postpartum depression, right? When you have a woman and you throw her estrogen off, a lot of them get postpartum depression. Guess what happens if you have artificial estrogens throwing off your natural estrogen, your natural hormone balance, same thing. You have a huge increase in depression. Children with higher BPA levels in their urine, higher depression. Kids aren't even supposed to have depression. You know what I mean? Like historically, that's super, super rare. Now it's becoming more and more common. Um, Where is the BPA commonly coming from for the kids? Let's let's take your average two to seven year old kid that's got freaking BPA in the urine sample and is depressed. I mean, <laughs> uh, plastic bottles, yeah, plastic water bottles, right? Um, and pipes too, like the pipes piping water into people's houses, full of that stuff full of phthalates and bpa and they're both just as bad like everybody's blaming bpa for everything but phthalates are just as bad and they're found in bpa free plastics and sometimes they use bps or bpf and they're just as bad and in fact they're even worse in many cases so the bpa free plastic oftentimes is worse and um 
and so if you're not, you have to filter the water, right? Like people need to have a filter, whether it's, you know, external from the faucet or built onto the faucet or whatever, mm -hmm. before you drink water, you should be filtering it and not storing it in plastic. Even room temperature, in my opinion, has too much leaching of these plastic chemicals. Yeah. This is what was really getting me in your book because we thought mm -hmm. we were doing the right things. You know, we have the Brita filter, charcoal mm -hmm. filter thing. So you pour the water in, it filters through the charcoal. In the plastic. And it just sits there all day in the plastic. Exactly. And I was like, fuck, how can we get this so wrong? Like it was so close, but so far. So now I'm thinking, yeah. I, I've already been on Amazon. I'm searching around. Surely Britta would do a glass jug, one of these things. You would think. Yeah. Right. Uh, now, it doesn't seem to be the fact. I know. And there are some, they exist because I've seen them before, but the alternative is just to filter it. You know, you can make these one, they make filters that attach directly to your faucet mm -hmm. and they have activated charcoal. And by the way, the secret is you have to have activated charcoal. If your right. filter doesn't have activated charcoal, it's just not filtering out estrogens. You know See, I mean? there's and another all thing, Anthony, because we, we've moved house yeah. now and this house has mm -hmm. a great big giant water filter system which you have to pour yeah. these little salt pellets into. Yeah. That's not carbon activated, I'm guessing. Probably not. Is that just a water softener? Uh, it could be. Yeah, it, it could be. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like just a softener. Yeah. I mean, me personally, I have a, a big activated charcoal filter system that I installed on my own, you know, in my mm -hmm. house. But unfortunately, they don't make that one anymore. So you can't just go and buy it. Hmm. So... I don't know what's the new thing now, but, um, but I've got kids just like you do. And I, you know, they're always sitting in the bathwater drinking the water and stuff. So I just put it on my whole house. Um, but I also do reverse osmosis on my sink. And if people want to look at the exact one that I have, it's on my website, ajconsultingcompany.com. The one I have is all stainless steel. It doesn't even have plastic tubes that go up to my sink. It has a stainless, it has a silicone tube that's plat it's braided with stainless steel plastic on the outside. So it doesn't blow up like a balloon. In fact, they made that for me, that company. Um, I did a video that got a lot of traction that I showed my water filter on YouTube. And then I, uh, I explained the only problem is it's got this plastic tube going from the stainless steel filter all the way up to the sink. And by the way, it's reverse osmosis and it uses a pump. So it doesn't have a big plastic tank under your sink that stores the water. It's all stainless and it pumps it up there and you can run it indefinitely. It's great. It's a great filter. But then they had this plastic tube and I tried putting a silicone tube because silicone, by the way, has no estrogen. Silicone is super safe. You can use it mm -hmm. for spatulas and cooking and, and sous vide. If you, you can even have silicone Ziploc bags that you sous vide cook with, mm -hmm. um, and, and that's, I've looked into the research really carefully. It's not bad, you know, like silicone is amazing. So I tried to make a silicone thing up to my sink and then it blew up like a balloon, you know, like when I ran the water through it and I complained about it, the company made a stainless steel wrapped silicone tube. It's amazing. So now there's no plastic whatsoever in that particular water filter system. And it's, it remineralizes it, put it, it takes all everything out and then it puts minerals back in no plastic. It's, um, it's nuts to think we moved away from lead piping to just BPA piping. We're no closer, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, I'd probably choose BPA over lead, but I, I don't <laughs> think people have to make a choice. <laughs> I mean, 
Yeah, they were using steel piping before plastic. It was way better. You know, like I have an old house here I'm, I'm in right now. It's from like the 1960s or something. It's all steel pipe. Like when I was doing plumbing in my basement, um, I jackhammered out the floor and stuff. I like to do this stuff. It's part partly because I like it and partly because it saves so much money. Mm -hmm. But I actually redid some of the plumbing and I had to use like a, a reciprocating saw and cut the steel pipe and yeah. And then I, but yeah, I mean, lead is like the ancient Roman times. <laughs> <laughs> well, a lot of British houses still had the, the old lead piping in there as well back in the day. Wow. Um, well, they solder with lead too, right? They put solder, they connect the pipes with lead soldering. So it ends mm -hmm. up being a lot of lead, but even there, like I say, you can filter that stuff out. So even if worst case scenario, you've got a whole bunch of lead piping and you know, you've, those metals can filter pretty easy into activated charcoal, right? So especially with reverse osmosis, that gets rid of everything. So there's ways to get around this. And it's, it's not as expensive as people think, you know? Um, so that's just one tip of the iceberg because of course, then you get into the fragrances and the sunscreen, like you mentioned. And mm -hmm. so just, just, to being, you know. just to stick on the water, because it's not mm -hmm. just the pipes, right? It's what's mm -hmm. in the water as well. Uh, what, oh yeah, exactly. If you, if you want to talk about that. Oh, sure. It's a good question because, you know, they're the municipal water systems and the, and the water companies, they're good at filtering out or they're, excuse me, they're good at killing bacteria. They're good at killing viruses. They're really good at killing these things and making sure your water is safe. It's not going to kill you through an infection or something. They're terrible at filtering out molecules like hormones and hormone mimicking chemicals like birth control birth control is really high in drinking water in, in in big cities um and i'm not because women piss it out and it goes in the toilets and then it goes right into the drinking water and they don't filter it out so it hmm. comes right back up and and they they've done all these studies you know like there's a ton of studies and stuff in my book on this and same with pesticides in the rural areas where they're not in big cities they're spraying these chemicals they're leaching into the water supply and the cities are not filtering those out uh, and same with the plastics right so all of these chemicals that are bad for you are ending up in the water supply and nobody's taking them out unless you do it yourself at home so the the birth control one is a a really interesting one mm -hmm. so we have let's just take any imaginary city for an example x amount of women in that city are using a birth control drug mm -hmm. that is exiting their system through the urine that is going yep. through the municipal waterworks and then coming straight back out through the water system in essence lowering the fertility of absolutely everybody male or female yep. that drinks that water Exactly. Far out, man. Yeah. Well, they designed birth control. You know, birth control is not natural estrogen. It's called 17-alpha-ethenyl-estradiol. It's fake estrogen, right? It's made in a lab specifically designed to last a really long time. Like, they don't want it to break down if you're selling it on a shelf and you got it sitting around at Walmart for a long time or whatever store, the pharmacy. You don't want it breaking down and degrading. So they make sure that it's super stable chemicals and it's... You know, it's designed to stay in your body a really long time. So you don't have to take a super high dose and things like that. Like it's by design that it's very stable, just like we, chemical pesticides. You know, we have, we have friends of ours, very close friends 
that left the city of London after trying for a baby for a long time, mm. IVF, all that jazz, mm -hmm. moved to southern France, mm -hmm. drank their own spring water on their own land, <laughs> yep. and within a yep. year, pregnant. No, and probably no chemical, no extra IVF or anything. Nothing. Yeah. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> um, it's, yeah. In fact, somebody emailed me about that recently. But yeah, I mean, happens all the time, right? I mean, fertility, testosterone doubling, you know, depression going away. It's, your body doesn't want to be in a, in a state of screwed up hormones, right? Like, it, it, it confuses it. You know, those hormones are such a delicate balance. I mean, our natural hormone levels are in the nanograms. Nanograms is 10 to the minus ninth grams. That's 0 0.00000000001 grams, right? Mm -hmm. That's a tiny, tiny, tiny amount. And that's a normal level for you. Like your, your male estrogen is 20 nanograms per liter, right? Mm -hmm. 20 nanograms. And females are also about 20, which is interesting. Most people think like, oh, women have so much estrogen it ranges during the time of the month. Like it might be 20 to 200, depending on the time of the month, but it's 20. Often, oftentimes women have the exact same estrogen as men. It's not that much different. So if you mess with those levels, because you've got these artificial estrogens coming into your system every day, right. And there's 10 of them coming into your system. There's all kinds of different ones coming in all the time. Well, of course that's going to disrupt, you know, all kinds of processes uh, in males and females. At what point do you ask yourself, is this eugenics at play? Hmm. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I just stay with the science. and just, I don't even ask. Um, I mean, like the money, I'm happy to follow the money, but like the stuff that goes on behind closed doors definitely happens, but it's so hard to prove that I don't even try, you know, I just try and get rid of the chemicals, tell people about them so they at least can get rid of them if they decide they want to. And if they don't want to, whatever, that's their problem, but at least raise the knowledge level. Breast cancer is a good example because breast cancer is up 250% since 1980. And all people are doing is passing out pink ribbons. <laughs> and they're like, <laughs> like, yeah, do you get that over in the UK? Yeah. 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 It's so stupid. I mean, the CEOs of these, of these nonprofits are making like hundreds of thousands of dollars salaries per year. They're taking a lot, most of the money for their own salaries. And, and, and then what the, the money that they have left over, they put it into drugs, right? And drug research. So they wait until people get breast cancer and then they give them a bunch of drugs that make a bunch more money. So they're not really solving the problem. The, the awareness needs to be around the chemicals that are causing the breast cancer. And so, you know, I've been like a one-man band, like talking about that for a long time because that's the way to solve the problem. In fact, I was literally on the phone just with somebody from Albuquerque, Albuquerque, New Mexico, just before I talked to you. Um, she had endometriosis or polycystic ovarian syndrome or both. I can't remember the, all the details, but because I talked to three people today, I get these things a little bit muddled up. But, um, you know, she specific estrogen issues relating to her reproductive system. And like, for example, um, if you've got a bunch of rats in a, in a research study and you want to give them uh, polycystic ovarian syndrome, you give them atrazine at a high dose and they get it. You know what I mean? And then you can study it and try and cure it or whatever. But it's like, well, 
why are we giving people these chemicals? Because we know they trigger this stuff. Like if you want to trigger breast cancer in animals, you just give them these chemicals at a high dose and you trigger it. And the, and the, the so that what a lot of people say is like, well, those are high doses and it doesn't matter if you're at a low dose. It matters. These things build up in your body over time, right? They, they store up in your fat cells and they bioaccumulate and that's well known. And not to mention the fact that you're exposing yourself to more than one every day. So the multiple different ones acting on the same system further increase your risk. Um, and that's the kind of stuff we should be talking about. Instead, we're passing out pink ribbons and making people dress up with pink shoes and all this nonsense. Ah, uh, it just gets you so angry. I got, mm -hmm. I got a personal question for you. Sure. Uh, I emailed it to you. I don't know whether you got a chance to uh, think about it, uh, but we had, uh, my wife and I had the opposite um, scenario to the, to the friend that I uh, told you about just uh, a few minutes ago. When we were living in Singapore, we had a surprise pregnancy. Uh, we'd already had two. Wasn't particularly trying for a third, but bam, you know, nature's going to, nature's going to take its way. And, that was a surprise, a double surprise, because it was fraternal twins. Mm -hmm. Now, it became even more weird mm. as time went by because you start rejoining the baby groups and whatever else, who else is pregnant, you want you, you know, to connect with, with other ladies and find that, that group. Uh, you didn't have to go to all the breastfeeding classes and whatever. You've done all that before, right? So you're finding other women that had already had kids that were now pregnant and um they were all expat so a mix of aussies kiwis americans canadians brits germans you know you name it and all twin pregnancies now, oh, did they just, that's right i remember this email yeah did they just weirdly conspiratorially get drawn to each other and the weirder <laughs> thing again was zero ivf treatment for any one of the women. Yeah, that's the weirdest thing here, right? No history, maternal history, right, uh, of of twins in the family. Yeah, I'm sure there was something they were putting in there that was, you know, causing egg cells to divide or something. It's not related to estrogen chemicals. It's not these artificial estrogens for sure. It's something different. But I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't know what the chemical would be. And I don't know if we would, we would know, even if you did a lot of digging, right? Um, but it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, these research labs, you know, I used to do Alzheimer's research for the U.S. government. And by the way, I've given talks for the military, for the special forces. They have secret summits. I've been a speaker for them, and they won't even let me advertise those on social media, right? There's a lot of stuff that goes on. And, and I do DNA consulting for the military, for the special forces. So I've been behind some of the closed door stuff. I used to design virus, which is crazy because of COVID and all this nonsense, mm -hmm. like the gain of function research is absurd. It's always been absurd. And for me, when I used to make viruses, I would, I would do the opposite of gain of function, by the way, I was doing uh, loss of function. Like I would take away functions of the virus and make them weaker. We called it neutered viruses. And I was making viruses. For example, I, I used to be a virus designer. That was my job. Like I was a contractor for the government and I made viruses. <laughs> um, this is way before COVID, but um, the reason I was doing it is I was trying to cure Alzheimer's by making a virus that didn't replicate. So it's neutered. 
So it couldn't like be spread from person to person. You can take out those genes and then you could inject it into mouse brains or whatever and, and get it to reverse plaque. You can use a virus, you know, to, to basically cure Alzheimer's. That was my goal. So in other words, like use a virus for something beneficial instead of something negative, but then you get the Fauci's of the world that are trying to make extra nasty viruses to study those, right? Which is completely crazy, but they do that stuff too. So I'm like super familiar with the virus research. And the point is like, that's the kind of stuff you're not going to hear about like just on your normal, like news channels. And you're not going to read much about it because you, you can't, right. They have paywalls and they have, you can't access those journal articles and you can't read about those studies unless you're privileged in certain aspects. Right. Even the Chinese, you know, I, I, I took, so I do a lot of hunting, right. I'm a bow hunter. In fact, even on YouTube, if people want to watch Anthony J. Cast, C-A-S-T, um, I have a separate channel. I have a science channel and then I have like a separate hunting channel and stuff like an outdoors channel um, where I, I just do outdoorsy things like hunting and fishing and, and um, just because I like doing that stuff. But um, how, what the hell was I? Oh, I took a Chinese medical doctor from the, you know, when I used to work at Mayo Clinic here in Minnesota, where I live, I took a Chinese medical doctor out hunting. Cause he'd never even shot a gun before. And I was like, Oh bro, I gotta get out. Hunt. And I took him and his, his wife. She's also a medical doctor and a PhD. She's an MD PhD. And it was funny, but um, you know, so they don't have any freedoms over there. Right? Like they're not allowed to sh even shoot guns and have guns and all this stuff. So just shooting a gun was super entertaining for them. But um, uh, Oh, where was I going with it? But Oh, I was going to say he, he's a really good friend of mine. And he told me that um, in China, they have all this data on plant compounds and plant healing and all this stuff about herbs and, and what they can do in all these different situations. And they don't reveal any of it. Like it's all China. It's all uh, Chinese language only. It's behind paywalls. You can't access any of it. None of it's translated and it's super interesting. Uh, and that's the kind of stuff you would never hear about, except I know this guy, right? And again, we're really good friends. It's not like I just kind of know him from the hallway. I took him out hunting, right? Um, so there's a lot of that that goes on. And I'm sure it's the same with that water supply. So long story short, I'm pretty confident they're putting something in there, but I don't know what it is. <laughs> oh, it was it was just a kind of throwaway joke at the time when we were all going through it. Oh, it must be something in the water. Um, and now after reading your book, I was just getting more and more like annoyed like you know yeah, uh, well, yeah they're of manipulating course I'm glad. You. you know i love the twins like you know this is amazing yeah, yeah, yeah. one of them but you don't want to be you don't want to be manipulated yeah no, of course and the good news is the good news is if you just filter the water it doesn't matter what they're putting in there right mm -hmm. whether it's accidental or intentional if there's stuff in oh, water but you're and, doing reverse and, osmosis it's out and i forgot to mention that this mm -hmm. was the exact time that they were doing a um, a population push, a bonus for new pregnancies uh, within the Singapore citizenry because because there are a lot of immigrants into Singapore, they felt as though they were losing their nationality, so they were giving bonuses out to boost the um, the birth rate because the birth rate was critically yeah. low amongst Singaporeans. Yeah. Of course, we didn't. Oh yeah. We didn't, uh, even though we were permanent residents, you didn't, uh, you know, succeed in in getting any kind of bonus because you were not a Singaporean. Mm -hmm. So sure. whatever they were throwing in the water, 
which I'm convinced the fuckers were doing now, <laughs> was yeah. affecting, clearly affecting, uh, you know, um, Caucasian women, perhaps more than Asian women. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, probably genetic variants, you know, like, that's one of the reasons I'm so interested in genetics because it's so variable, you know, people need to eat differently. Like this idea, like everybody should go vegan or everybody should go mm. this or everybody should go that it differs, right? Like everybody's so different. It's absurd to think that we are all in these tribes that, you know, like every, like thousands of years ago, there was different tribes and you couldn't just take an airplane and go and intermix with a different one. So like, for example, if you had a ton of heavy metals in your water in that little tribe in that area, your genetics had to be very adapted to clearing heavy metals and disposing them and urinating them out and that kind of stuff. Whereas somebody else in a different tribe might've had just the purest drinking water coming out of a mountain and their genetics are very poorly suited for clearing heavy metals, just as an example. So yeah, the genetic differences are super interesting and very powerful, you know, to study and to tap into. And that's another thing, you know, I know there's a big push like, Oh, don't do your genetics because the government has that data, mm. which is kind of true, but they've got millions of people's DNA and in volunteer studies and databases. And if they wanted to manipulate it or whatever they can, but the other aspect of it is like, you can use that stuff to your power and, and, and use it to stay off prescription drugs. And so a lot of it, a lot of this like anti-genetic stuff, like, Oh, like the fear mongering. Oh, don't do your DNA because, uh, it's going to be used against you in some weird way. A lot of that originates from the pharma companies because they don't want you to personalize your medicine. They don't want you to use your genetics to uh, prevent heart disease, right? Like an example would be, uh, and I know this is off topic from the hormones, but like heart disease, right? A lot of my people, a lot of my genetic consult, you know, consultant work is with people that are afraid of heart attacks because heart attacks run in their family and they don't want to have a heart attack. And it's not about cholesterol. You know, these doctors blaming cholesterol mm -hmm. for everything. It's complete nonsense. And so, for example, sometimes people have a gene called factor five. It's just the letter F and the number five, factor five. And what that does, that genetic issue causes your blood to be a little too thick, right? And then that oftentimes just leads to a sudden heart attack at age 50 or something, really young ages, and it freaks people out. And the sad thing is, here's how the modern medical system deals with it. They wait until you have a heart attack and they say, oh, shit, you have factor five. Let's get you on a bunch of prescription drugs for the rest of your life and thin your blood. Um, bummer, you know, it's too bad. Now, here's how I deal with it. Oh, you've got factor five. Thank goodness we did your genetics and we caught this early. Let's get you on some plant compounds like curcumin or grapeseed extract or ginger that are known to thin your blood and measure your blood thickness so you know that it's thinned properly. And the side effects of those plant compounds, like those, those supplements, are anti-inflammatory and they're beneficial and they, you know, like they improve blood flow or whatever. Um, and then we get it dialed in and you never have a heart attack. You see, it's a lot better approach, but the pharma companies they would, they would say, Oh, you, you know, that's iffy, that's questionable data. Like you better not do that. Or, you know what I mean? Like you can see why they would be negative about approaching it that way because they're losing a lifetime customer. Yeah. So there's a little bit of both sides there that you have to watch for on all this stuff. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you, you might be getting a lot of emails after this. <laughs> 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, you, do you want to go down the COVID rabbit hole? See sure. if I can see if I can get another. If I put this up on YouTube, it might be the second one that gets taken down, just for mentioning oh, yeah. the, the damn word. <laughs> I mean, the, the, we you live in the cut world it, of cut the video speech. in half. And, yeah, cut exactly. the video in half and do part two. Yeah. What? Just because you you mentioned about working for the U.S. government and you know designing viruses, uh, is that what you see or believe COVID was? Oh yeah, oh hundred percent. Yeah, it came from the lab. It came from a lab. I mean, right from the beginning, I said that to all my friends. I said that anybody who asked me, I said that to them. Um, just looking at the DNA sequences, and you know and the, 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 the insertions and deletions that they were putting into these things, it's complicated, it's technical, but, um, yeah, that's, that stuff originates from labs. Now, I don't think it was intentional that they leaked it. They probably, you know, I have a friend, he was doing radioactive studies over in China and they were so poor over there. They were literally injecting these rats with like radioactive material and doing all these studies. And then they would take the rats home and eat them. Um, Oh yeah. And you thought it was a joke and he was like super serious that this is actually happening. There's so much just outrageous, egregious, you know, like protocols that they break in certain areas of China and certain labs, partly because of the economy. And then, and then of course you never hear about this stuff because there's no freedom of speech and all that. Um, but this stuff happens and it, it happened in that case. Yeah. It's a man-made, it's a man-made man virus, unfortunately. Now it wasn't targeting any specific group of people. Like if it was, if it was an intentional uh, bioweapon, right? Like if I was making a virus and I was from China, what you do is you design it so that like you look at people's genetics that are in China. Remember COVID, it binds to the, you know, the spike protein and all this stuff, like on the outside surface of the COVID virus, like it's a big ball, but it's got these little spike proteins sticking yeah. out. You've seen the pictures of it with the little red things sticking out of the surface or whatever they color it up as. Um, that virus, when it goes into your bloodstream and it starts floating around, it sticks to a receptor called ACE2, A-C-E-2, right? ACE2 receptor. There's 14 different genetic versions of ACE2. Right. Like you can look at people's genes and say, oh, he's more disposed to having COVID and he's less disposed to getting a reaction from COVID. Because if your cells are picking it up super fast, then you're going to have more of a blast of virus when you get it. And if your cells are just not allowing COVID to, to you know, to stick to them, well, then you're pretty resilient against the virus. So there's genetic stuff that we should have been looking, looking at right from the beginning. But the point is, if you were going to make a bioweapon, Chinese people they're very genetically similar, right? Like I do DNA consulting for people from China sometimes, not very often, but they all have the alcohol dehydrogenase gene. They call it the Asian flush gene, right? They get really red yep. in the face when they drink alcohol, stuff like that. Like they have a lot of genetic similarities because they probably originated from a very small group of people. And whereas like people in America, for example, are a melting pot. It's like you got the Germans and you got the Slavs and you got the Russians and you got Chinese and you got whatever, and they're all mashed together. And so our genetic diversity here is a lot more crazy. And if you're going to make a virus, that's a bioweapon. What you do is you make sure that it doesn't work against Asian people. Like you make sure you look at the genetics and you design it. So it, 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 it harms everybody except Asians. And they didn't do that. So I don't think it's a bioweapon, right? Because that's how you would make a bioweapon. 
In fact, it would be a lot easier to go the other direction and make a virus that targeted only people from Asia. And because there's so little diversity there. Um, and fortunately, that's not the case either, obviously here. But you know what I mean? But that's that's why I personally think it's a leak. Um, mm. Number one, the lab conditions over there are egregious. You know, I've been to biosafety level four labs. Um, where they work on SARS and they work on these crazy like Ebola and stuff where you like bleed out your eyeballs and your ears and stuff. And when you go into those, you put on these space suits, like literally a space suit, like you go into space and then you walk through some doors and you have a chemical wash, like a bath of chemicals that comes down. And then you, you have to change your breathing hose as you're walking around the room because you're like plugged into these hoses that are on the ceiling. And, and then when you walk out of the room, you get a chemical bath and then you get your spacesuit off through some other doors. You know what I mean? It's like door after door after door and chemical baths and spacesuits and craziness. They're not doing that in China. I guarantee it. I haven't been there, but I'm just telling you, right. Um, the, it's, it's going to be much more uh, sloppy and, protocols are not going to be followed most likely. So when you're getting a dollar a day or whatever, some of these people are making, you know what I mean? And when there's basically slave labor, uh, people aren't really trying to do good work, right? There's not high quality craftsmanship in that situation. And there's different levels to that, but it's a spectrum, but I think that's the, that's the story. So as you were watching this play out, you, you, you've, clearly had suspicions from the very beginning of mm -hmm. how this has come about and what it was and how it was spreading. Yep. Then we moved into jab land. Oh yeah. Always Injection money land. Yeah. Money land clown world. Call it, call it whatever you want. Yeah. How, how was that sitting with you? when you started seeing all of these other countries, mandates being pushed on people, pressure being mm. put on people, America was the absolute, one of the biggest clown shows out there with free donuts, free beers, <laughs> free burgers. We, yeah. Oh, you yeah. know, like this loss leading classic sales technique just to push this mrna experimental experimental experiment vaccine. which yep. let's please remind listeners did they or did they not have to change the definition of vaccine just to even get the thing into the news in, in into people's mm -hmm. televisions yep yep and they even changed you know anti-vax like they changed all these definitions right because <laughs> If you don't accept the government's position on vaccines, now you're anti-vax and all this stuff. Um, yeah, it's been crazy. I mean, if you follow my Instagram page, you'll know, like I've been super vocal about it and that's the best I can do. And obviously I just protect myself and my family. I mean, I quit Mayo Clinic, right? The, the, the most prestigious hospital in the world. I quit. I used to work there, man. Um, they started forcing people to get vaccinated and they did this nonsensical thing where they would, they said you can apply for a religious exemption and mm -hmm. maybe you'll get that. And then, and a religious exemption, meaning like, Oh, my religion doesn't allow me to get vaccines or something. And I said, not, none of that nonsense for me. Like I just quit. Right. Because it, just that the way they were approaching it was unethical to begin with. And I have a YouTube video on that topic. Like I explain why I quit and you can watch all the details. Um, but 
I had a lot of friends that were fired. Like they, they tried to do the religious exemption thing. And the ones that were super critical for Mayo Clinic and like super important, they kept them on and said, oh, look, we approved your religious exemption. It's very valid. And then the ones that they didn't really need and they could replace, they totally rejected their religious exemption. It was all nonsensical uh, politics and money. And, and, you know, it was, it was corruption. And mm -hmm that's because these medical institutions are in bed with the pharma companies, right? I mean, they're making a killing from these companies. It's all interconnected, the politics in America, the pharmaceuticals, the medical systems, even the insurance companies are all corrupt. Like for example, if you want to get blood tests done, the insurance insurance companies don't want you to because they're losing money. So there's, and the pharma companies are paying them behind the scenes, you know, like to promote those drugs instead of prevention. Cause you'd think like, well, why wouldn't they just promote prevention instead? And they'd save all this money. Right. But there's, there's a whole network of corruption between the pharma and the politics and the insurance and the medical systems. And Mayo Clinic is at the forefront of a lot of that stuff. And so of course I've been super vocal. In fact, right at the beginning of COVID, you can watch my YouTube videos. It's got the timestamps on the stuff. I told people, look, don't mask up. Like the last thing you should be doing is wearing a mask. If you have, you know, lung cancer, if you've got asthma, don't just wear a mask, wear an N95 mask and hospitals should be giving away N95 masks, like activated charcoal masks and be really careful. Everybody else should not only not wear an N95, they shouldn't wear a mask at all because it's clearly, you know, you can develop an immune, you know, you can get the COVID and, and for young, healthy people, we'll shoot through the population, we'll all develop very uh, thorough antibodies to this, and then we'll get over it, right? And then we can get move on with our lives. But no, they wanted to push the vaccine, they wanted to make fear monger, they wanted in the hospitals were the biggest proponents of the fear mongering. And that just shows you the level of the corruption. And, and you know, in fact, you know, this idea, like, let's do an mRNA with just the spike protein that there's literally 23 proteins or 24 proteins on a COVID virus. That's a whole alphabet. Like think of an alphabet, right? That's A, B, C, D, E, F, G, all the way to X, Y, Z. And all we did was vaccinate against one letter S, right? And even just from a, just a, and it's not even a vaccine, right? Let's be honest, but we call it a jab instead of a vaccine, but Let's be honest, even if it was a vaccine and it was just making antibodies against the letter S, that's one of 24 in your alphabet. It's much better to get the actual virus, right? And get 24 antibodies, you know what I mean? Like get a whole alphabet of antibodies for future uh, viruses that might hit you, future uh, variants and all this kind of stuff, instead of just having a letter S you know what I mean? That's just one variant of the letter S even. So it's even weaker than it sounds, right? It sounds like it's just one letter of an alphabet. It's actually even worse than that. But the point is, right? Like that was my initial YouTube video and that got a lot of views actually. And, and I was even on some news, some news like live shows over here, arguing with doctors about that, just trying to say like, hey, this is the logical approach. Let's do this. And then they were saying, no, but the CDC and all this. And as you know, oh. that's all corrupt too. So... <laughs> Yeah, and the WHO. Oh, exactly. Yeah. <clears throat> no, I mean, but thank goodness now. I mean, people know. Like, if you're paying attention, you can figure this out, right? And the people that don't pay attention, they're never going to figure it out anyways. And what's the point of trying to deal with those people? So, you know, at least it opened up people's eyes if they're willing to accept the truth and kind of pay attention to reality.
at least it's pretty obvious, right? I think so anyway. And an, an interesting part of your book, which, uh, you know, perked my ears up was you talking about the immune system mm-hmm. and how misunderstood or mm, yeah. What, what are the words you, you would say um, under investigated or something like um, yep. we, oh, we yeah. just don't know what's going on. It's a new frontier. Yeah. That's what I say. How like, that? That's crazy. That it's crazy I, to me that that, if that's a yeah. new frontier, and we've got mm-hmm. this virus that we were being told is going to kill everybody. Uh, mm. And now we're just going to jab everybody with an experimental jab like, without, yeah. without knowing anything, that, without scratching the surface, surface of our immune systems. I'm understanding the immune system, yeah. And Fauci yeah, it's funny, and isn't company it? Yeah. must know that shit, right? So oh, yeah. what yeah. are their real <laughs> motives? Yeah, they're just puppets, right? I mean, it's always these people get into positions of power because they're puppets, right? Like there's a doctor at Mayo Clinic who promoted the vaccine more than anything else. His main goal, you could tell just by watching him sitting right here in the town where he lives, you could tell he just wants to get into a government position. And, you know, as soon as he gets offered one, he's going to jump and he's going to leave Minnesota and live in Washington, D.C. and get into politics. And he's trying to be the next Fauci. It was so obvious, you know, (laughs) and uh and that's how people like that get into positions of power. And it's sad, but that's America. You know what I mean? It's not, people don't vote for these people. They just get in because of, <laughs> because they do what they're told by the pharmaceutical companies who funded the politicians. Unelected sociopathic bureaucrats. Is, is that the kind of people we're talking about? Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right. So immune system. The last thing we should be doing is overloading it with you know spike proteins that we have mm-hmm. no idea where they're going to go once they enter our bloodstream yeah i mean it's a toxin you know it's just like spider venom or something you know like it's a protein so people think of it as a protein spike protein is like black widow spider venom black widow spider venom is a toxic protein you know what i mean like you don't want that stuff in your body um and if you get exposed to actual covid you know yeah there's some spike protein but there's also all this other stuff and it's it's all you know there's a lot going on but if you're just putting mrna and then your body's making loads of spike protein there's millions and millions of spike protein it's been hard too because they don't quantify it they don't allow you think these pharma companies they don't want the numbers to get out on how much spike protein you're actually creating in your own body when you get these jabs you know what i mean so it's hard to do the research on this stuff because they don't have to reveal any of it you know what I mean? Like in order to get these things approved, it's all closed doors, you know, FDA stuff, and they don't have to publish it in peer reviewed journals. And when they do publish it, they select the data they want published. It's all nonsense. It's, it's, I write about that in my Esther generation book. You know what I mean? Like the book that you're talking about, I write about how corrupt this is way before COVID. I write about how corrupt the peer reviewed processes and, and, and just a lot of the corruption going on behind the scenes in science. That's part mm-hmm. of the problem. That's how we get to where we are with these chemicals being illegalized and being so prevalent. Peer review. Do you want to blow the lid yeah. off it? Sure. I mean, when you publish a scientific paper in a scientific journal, even if it's New England Journal of Medicine, it doesn't matter. I've published a bunch of them just so people know. Um, 
you pick your own peer reviewers. It's not like it's just goes to the publication and they say, oh, this is, this is probably going to be good with these reviewers, these critical thinkers. No, like I pick them. Like I tell them who's going to peer review my paper. It's part of the, the, pro, the application. You can't submit a publication to a peer reviewed journal until you suggest your own peer reviewers. You pick them. So of course you're going to pick your buddies. You're not going to pick a bunch of like people that hate your research and are super critical about your ideas and disagree with you. You're going to pick a bunch of your buddies who think soy is amazing, right? And soy is the best thing ever. And your, your buddies are all funded by soy based vegan companies or food processing companies or whatever the hell. And of course they're going to say your soy based research publication is the coolest thing they've seen and whatever. So then it gets published, even if the research is super sketchy. And that's just the tip of the iceberg because the grants are the same way. Like these grants that we have to write to get funding, to do the research to the government, they have your name on them. It's all politics. You know, these committees that are deciding who gets funding and grants and stuff. It, it, that's just human nature, right? Like it turns into a political thing. If your name is on it and it's not anonymous, it's not about the ideas. It's about the person. It's completely crazy. Like, of course you would make it anonymous. And in, in, if you were like setting up a system where you wanted to do good re scientific research and just purely based on the merit of the research, but no, they got your name on it. They're completely factoring that into their decisions. It's political. So then you've got to become political and go to all these science conferences and just sit around with people and talk to them and try to become friends with people. It's, it's a mess. And there's like four or five other things I read about in my book too there in all this stuff. But, you know, Marsha Angel is probably the, my favorite person on this whole topic. Uh, she used to be the chief editor of the New England Journal of Medicine for 20 years right? Like she was the first woman, uh, super pioneer, probably should have won a Nobel prize, you know, but politics, right? Mm -hmm. But um, she, she literally stepped down for ethical reasons. She decided for, she could no longer stomach being the chief editor of this medical journal because pharmaceutical companies were publishing these garbage papers and ramming them through, forcing them through and just doing so much, there was so much unethical stuff going on. She couldn't handle it. And she left, you know, and, and don't take my word for it. Like look her up and read her quotes and read, read her books and stuff like that on it. Um, Cause she does a better job explaining it than I did. Cause she worked in that industry. Um, and I quote her in my book, you know what I mean? It's such a mess, mate. And, and it's not just your sector either, right? It's absolutely mm -hmm everything i've heard safe yeah. talk about peer-reviewed studies in in economics uh when oh yeah he's, yeah he's a phd economic like uh, teacher um it, it just just a complete and utter total clown show it's a joke yeah oh yeah that's i mean that's how you get to this point where like you know, we're redefining gender and all this crazy stuff that does defies logic, but supposedly it fits with academia. It's because you can manipulate all this stuff, you know? And th that's another point you make in your book about redefining these terms. When you talk about um, the, all of the problems that are stemming from the estrogenics that we get in our plastics and our foods and, and whatever else, early puberty. Oh, yeah, yeah. It just makes me so sick to my stomach that mm -hmm. their idea of how do we fix the problem oh we're just going to change the age range of oh. what is expected to be uh you know pubescent adolescence so like 
Yeah. Do you want to tell the listeners what, what's going on here? You know, get, oh, sure. get, I'll give you a little rant time. Go for it. Do it some justice. <laughs> yeah. Well, because of these chemicals, right? Like we're inducing puberty earlier and earlier in, in our girls, especially men too, but like, especially girls. So like, because it's so common for girls to come into puberty at age nine and things like this. Now they're trying to make that normal. So they're, there's, they're writing in medical journals that like, Oh, now it's a common thing. We need to make it normal. Let's low, let's expand the range for puberty and say it's normal. So instead of saying that's a problem or, you know, or a deficiency or an issue or whatever, they're just trying to make it. So it's normal because it's so common. It's just like obesity, right? Like if everybody comes obese, then if, mm-hmm. and then you can say oh obesity is normal and therefore it's okay it's still not okay it's not healthy but you know if you just try and if the doctors are suddenly telling everybody that it's okay and normal and that's just what everybody is then there's it's hard to fight it's hard to like raise awareness for the fact that it's not good for you right i mean at least start with the, the fact that it's not good for you and then you can improve it and work on it but if you don't have that awareness whatsoever, because we've changed these definitions, well, then you're starting at a place of weakness, right? You're starting at a place of uh, ignorance. What ignorance should is be, definitely not bliss. What, what, what should be the, the, the age that uh, a young girl, specifically yeah. girls, because obviously there's so much estrogen flowing around them now that their bodies are kicking in sooner. The way my mind is understanding what, what you're mm-hmm. trying to portray. Yeah, Exactly. At least age 12. I don't know. I mean, maybe 14 historically, but at least age 12. And I haven't studied the past history. Like I've studied testosterone super in depth because I care about it a lot more. But uh, yeah, I don't know as much about the historical. Like, for example, we have paleo bone records from humans, right? And that's, you can actually get testosterone data from that. I write about that in my book, right? So we cut, we have a good idea of where our paleo ancestors testosterone levels are and how, how ridiculously high that is compared to today's levels. And, and I'm sure we have similar data on uh, puberty levels. So we can go way back and I've never done that. You know what I mean? So I'm sure that would be a cool thing to, to find out because I don't even trust the 1980s. You know what I mean? Like I'm even <laughs> trust recent times to determine where it should be because even back then our testosterone was dropping pretty fast and we brought all these plastic chemicals in. And mm-hmm. so, so if I was, if I was digging into it, I would start with paleo bone records and go from there. I would love to know testosterone levels since 1971. I mean, yeah. A lot lower. Yeah. A lot lower. And if you're not, if you're not familiar with the, the website, W. TF happened in 1971. You're gonna love it. Okay. Yeah. You, you I, I will should email it. to me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh there's a few other things I want to touch on. Sun cream. Yeah, good one. Yeah. Well, and when I published my book, I, I of course the chemicals they're using in 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 sunscreen, like oxybenzone and benzophenones and stuff. Um, I knew they were estrogens. Like you can look at the research. It was pretty obvious. The chemical looks like estrogen. So it should tip you off. The fact that the molecular structure looks like estrogen is like, that's a good starting place. And then the fact that like it, you know, it lowers testosterone and on and on, like all these, you know, it causes breast cancer if it's high enough rates, like the basic things that estrogen would do. Um, 
it started to fit into that narrative. So of course I told people like, look, avoid these chemicals. They're estrogen, like it makes my top 10 list, right? But there wasn't like a ton of research at the time I wrote a book. Now what's interesting, just recently, um, they published a study where they put sunscreen on people. One application of sunscreen, and this is after I published my book, unfortunately. One application of sunscreen, 10 days later, a week later, like seven days, 10 days, I can't remember exactly, their blood levels of that sunscreen chemical, the estrogen one, oxybenzone, were above the government safety limits a week later. Definitely a week later, I think it was 10 days later, still from one application of sunscreen. And this was after I published my book. So I wish I had that in my book, right? But it's not. And people can look it up. It's like, you just, like even major news outlets covered that because the former FDA chairman, not the current one, because of course his job is on the lines. So he's not going to say anything, but the one that was previous, he came out and said, oh, this is horrible. We got to do more research. This is, you know, like, this is really bad news. Um, and it's crazy because that chemical has been legal for like 50 years. And now we finally did the one simple study where you just put sunscreen on people and look at their blood levels. Like that's the stupidest study of all time, right? They never had done that study. <laughs> and that's why I developed this principle in my book of like, don't trust these chemicals unless like, don't assume they're okay until the negative research comes out. Do it the other way around. Assume they're bad for you until the positive research, until it's well-researched. You see what I mean? Oh, it, yeah. everything's a lie. <laughs> well, they have a good alternatives. Like you can get zinc sunscreen. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like if worst case scenario, you raise your levels of zinc a little bit, that's not going to hurt you. Um, and you can wear sun shirts and sun hats and sun gloves and just completely avoid the sunscreen. You know, there's alternatives, but it just goes back to awareness. People don't think it's bad. They they think it's good. The professional medical communities are telling people it's good, right? And they're saying, stay out of the sun and all this. It's all completely backwards. Basically, it's if they tell you to do something, like it's almost like you do the opposite. It's complete off. nonsense, isn't it? Like stay out of the sun. The thing yeah, that nice. literally breathes life into everything on this planet. Mm -hmm. And if yeah. you're going to go out, make sure you cover yourself in with chemicals dog shit chemicals that are going across your skin barrier and straight into your bloodstream yep yep well they're and like kids. hormones right it's just like we're putting yeah, it on yeah. kids oh, yeah. oh they mandated in the schools like people are yes, always asking me you're like right they do that people are emailing me all the time and saying what's a spray sunscreen because my my school doesn't just mandate sunscreen they mandate that it's a spray sunscreen it has to be sprayable stuff like that like these stupid schools you know they're they're all in the, in, it, in it to win it too. You know what I mean? Like they're all part of this thing. Um, that's how you get a society of people that doesn't know how to think straight, you know, as you, you have the public education system all screwed up from the core on. Oh, but, don't get, don't take me down that rabbit hole. I homeschooled at, a, at so age 13 onward and I yeah. still homeschool my own kids. So you, you, home, um, you were homeschooled yourself correct yeah oh from age 13 on mm. amazing well hats off to your parents we, we do the same with yeah. our kids three out of our four um and yeah i've been down that rabbit hole for the last eight years and mm -hmm. i hope my message has reached a lot of the listeners especially those that haven't even had kids yet because mm -hmm. yeah. you got to keep them away from that hellhole there is nothing yeah. there nothing yeah Oh yeah. You can, my experience is I've been on both sides 
fact, I've been in the public school, I've been in private schools, I've been I'm homeschooled. University, um, PhD, doctorate. Oh yeah, oh yeah. But I mean, even just as a kid, I recognized that it was really obvious that, um, like, looking back, right? I still am friends with a lot of these friends from private school, from public school, from homeschooling, and you can totally screw up as a homeschooling parent, and and your kids turn out way better. Trust yeah. me, I've seen it a million times because I pay attention to this, and I have a lot of friends on all sides of this. Um, and you know, because the problem is a lot of people think they have to compete. They are like, Oh, I got to do the math and I got to do spelling and I got to do literature and I got to do history and I got to do this and that. And it's just busy, 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 busy work. You don't have to do all that. You know what I mean? Like if you just pursue your child's interest, you'll get way, you'll get a way better education because they want to learn. And then they remember all this stuff instead of just trying to memorize a bunch of nonsense and just dumping brain dumping and then moving to the next thing and then brain dumping and then moving to the next thing. They don't remember any of that anyways. So a lot of the time, if you pursue the actual interest, like for me, it was hunting, which is super ironic, right? Like nobody in my family hunted. I started on my own just from shooting a bow and arrow. My, my mom hates guns. She refused to let us have any guns in the house. Even though we're in America, you could totally have guns. She doesn't like them. Uh, and so she allowed us to have bows and arrows at about age 12 or 13. So I started shooting in tournaments and then a lot of those people hunted. So I kind of learned about hunting and then I started doing it and I would go every day. I would wake up in the morning when everybody's getting on the bus and going to school, I'd go out hunting and learning a ton of stuff. Cause it was totally new. And, and then it turns into biology, right. And then it turns mm -hmm. into a PhD in biochemistry and whatever. But, and so I love it all the way through. It's not like I'm doing something I hate doing. And the beautiful and thing is that that could have easily turned into philosophy or something else. Oh, yeah. right? You don't know until yeah, exactly. it takes you like self-directed education is it's just pure gold. Yeah. Yeah. So don't, if you do homeschool, don't feel like you're failing because you didn't quite get to the, the level of math that you thought you were going to, or the level of history or whatever with each individual kid, because everybody's different and you can learn the differences a lot better than the public school system will ever pay any attention to your kids. You know what I mean? And the main secret is to have a homeschooling group, like have a group of a network of friends that also do it and plug into that network and use that for your social life. And it's a lot more fun. And like, I take my kids, rock, like we were rock climbing yesterday at the rock climbing gym and with other homeschooling families, right? Indoor gym, it's snowing, it's Minnesota, it's freezing cold. We go to the rock climbing gym like three times a week. You know what I mean? So then the kids are hanging out, just talking and climbing rocks and getting tons of exercise and they're not sitting in desks all day. Um, it's way more social Ooh, and it's way yeah. healthier because they interact with different age groups. I mean, you know, all this stuff, it's pretty yeah. basic, but some people don't know this. So that, that, that's the thing, mate, you know, it's, um, it's another, it's another topic I try to educate as many people about as possible because mm -hmm. the default linear mindset is send your kids to daycare, get them in pre-kindy, get them in kindy, get them in the, mm -hmm. you know, the right school and your sphere of influence or overstretch yourself over leverage yourself to move to that town that area that has the best catchment area for that best school all perceived mm. so then right. they can get to the best high school so then they've got on the fast track to the ivy league university and then mm -hmm. they're set for life you're like no you've just destroyed your kid 18 years yeah. of hell <laughs> they don't yeah. know who they are they have no yeah. idea exactly 
Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, it's sad and it's almost a crutch, right? If you went through that system, it's a crutch because then you think you got to try and push that stuff on your kid. And you think you don't know how to teach your kids because you think you got to just like start, a, you got to follow some rigid curriculum. That's mm-hmm. just all about doing well on an SAT, you know? So it's a, it becomes a, a, a it becomes actually a handicap instead of like a positive. It, whereas if you, if you've homeschooled, like I did, you can at least see it, you know, you can recognize that, Oh, it's all, it's all just nonsensical. <laughs> it's a big time sink. Um, it's disgusting actually is it it's child abuse in my eyes you know to force yeah. a child to sit still within mm-hmm. a classroom of 30 other people which they did not choose to be with you know that is forced association from eight right. till five or nine till five or whatever it is with very few breaks and everything supervised and probably all wearing the same clothing and all sitting mm-hmm. down together standing up together reading the oh, same yeah. shit together like no one go too fast no one go too slow that's full-on communism and it's Mm -hmm. disgusting but yet here we are doing it thinking this is the thing we are doing best for our children this is how perverse everything has become right oh yeah well it's amazing they haven't outlawed it but the good thing about covid my favorite thing about covid is it's like doubled homeschooling in america like homeschooling is blown up i mean there's so many more people um Unfortunately, some people started doing them and they stopped, but because it actually takes work, you know, ironically, but I think it's worth putting in the effort. And, and, and again, a lot of that stuff, though, was more school at home rather than homeschooling, right? Um, yeah. People were yeah. forced into the corner, their hands were forced. It wasn't their decision. But hopefully, right. But no, the parents that have seen both. a mm-hmm. positive shift in their kids' mental state or physical state hopefully they've just kept them away like you know i've seen it i've seen a lot of it i've seen both where like they did the school on the zoom which is garbage and then they realized like the whole system is kind of garbage especially with all the the confusion with the gender stuff and just the silly uh agendas that are trying they're trying to push and and so they've just pulled their kids completely and then other ones just did it temporarily and now they're back in the school systems but I've seen a lot more homeschoolers, you know, at least around here. And I know a lot of them around the whole country. So it's, it has, it's been a bit of both, but it's good. You know, it's, it's a tricky thing to break away from, you know, it truly is because don't forget, Anthony, free education is a human right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) They've got all the slogans. They know how to get you. They know how to make you feel weak. Yeah. And uh, especially if they've, if they've got you, if they've got both parents working full-time jobs as well with inflationary yep, monetary yep. policy, then you have no choice but to send your children to daycare, which is state education. And right. it's not public school. It's state education. Like People need to remember that as well. Uh, public school is another fluffy mm. term, marketing term that they uh, can just throw out there. Mm. But uh, all right, let's, let's move yep. back to the yeah. atrazine. <laughs> <laughs> Atrazine, tell mm-hmm. us what it is and what it does. Yeah, atrazine is the second most used herbicide in North America. Um, it it's a herbicide. It's a weed killer, you know, and it, it feminizes males. It lowers testosterone. It acts like estrogen, right? Just like everything else. Um, 
that we've been talking about. Not all pesticides and herbicides do this, but atrazine specifically does. They spray it on grains for the most part. It's not like on fruits and vegetables. Generally, it's just grains. Um, and yeah, I think people should avoid it like the plague. I mean, it's terrible for people. It's illegal in Europe. You know, they've outlawed it because it's so bad. But um, but again, second most used in America. So it's it's very common. I would wonder how illegal it is in Europe because there's a lot of ways these companies can skirt around this kind of thing. And just, just today, my wife was telling me about, uh, you know, there's a famous mustard brand here in, in France called Dijon from supposedly oh, yeah. from sure. the region of Dijon. Uh, but of course it's owned by mm -hmm. Unilever and Apparently, the supply chain for those mustard seeds would have been coming from Canada, North America, which, well, there's a workaround using a product that has probably been or may have been sprayed with atrazine. And then there, of course, you have oh, yeah. Some, yeah. some countries here uh, that are not part of the European Union, but are still growing absolutely shed loads of grains or beans. Mm -hmm. um, or oil, seed oils, classic example. Tons of rape or canola, as you'd call it over there, or mm -hmm. um, sunflower, mm -hmm. very, very prevalent. Yep. And if they are outside of the, the laws of the European Union, they could be spraying whatever the hell they want on there, and then it gets exported, imported to wherever. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, local is best, you know. I mean, that's yep. another reason I hunt now. I mean, I specifically go out of my in in Minnesota where I live, like my in-laws, they live in a zone where you can shoot unlimited deer. You can shoot as many as you want. Uh, you can shoot a hundred if you want, donate them. You can there's a mechanism where you can donate them to soup kitchens for the homeless and stuff. So, you know, I've done that in the past. But most with with kids and stuff, I eat them all now. I have like three chest freezers and I but um I'm sourcing my own meat. You know what I mean? Like I source a lot of my own food and, and sometimes people can't do that, but you can buy a cow from your local farmer that you can mm -hmm. go and meet. You know what I mean? And, and then, you know, there's no shenanigans because you know, the farmer, you know, the cow, right? Like stuff like that is a good strategy and get it, get a chest freezer and put all that in the chest freezer, right? It's nice to have it in bulk. It's cheaper. It's a good investment things like that. Like, I think people should be doing stuff like that. And, and I like your approach, man, be skeptical. I just, just maintain like a real high degree of skepticism. Even if you're told by these companies that everything's okay. So the best approach. Would it surprise you to know that, uh, the Bitcoin community have something called the, uh, the Bitcoin beef initiative whereby oh, yeah, that's interesting. they go to this start all started by uh, modern T man or Texas slim. He, as he's known as it in the US, in Texas, where he, you know, his catchphrase is go and shake your rancher by the hand. Mm -hmm. Start buying meat from him yep. directly because he wants to yep. interact with real customers rather than, you know, huge conglomerates. And then mm -hmm. over time, you've built up that trust and that relationship, introduce him to Bitcoin, which is a far better mm -hmm. form of payment for him long term. Because it's mm -hmm. a, a hedge against the uh, the inflation of the, uh, the you know the U.S. monetary policy, and start paying for yep. the meat in Bitcoin. So this yep. is a this yep. is being rolled out now um, across the uh, across the globe. It's there's already an initiative in Australia. 
There are a few popping nice. up in, in Europe. Uh, so we're very closely aligned, mate. We're very, very closely aligned. Yeah. It's, it's yeah, just yeah, rethinking yeah. everything and, and uh, you mm -hmm. know, building from uh, from the ground up. It's, um, oh, yeah. You know, it's funny. It's quick story. I, I do have to go pretty soon too because I have another yep. phone call, but um, but I can't resist. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I went to, you know, Portland, Oregon is a, is a disaster, right? It's just like as progressive yep. as can be. It's just off the tons of homeless needles everywhere on the streets i've been there recently fishing and stuff um they have this dinosaur fish called a white sturgeon it gets to a thousand pounds i went out and fished with in my, in my kayak and stuff but it was funny because when i was in portland they have a problem these sea lions right these like two thousand pound sea lions or whatever they weigh they're just gigantic you know um they're eating these white sturgeon and killing them off and they're overpopulated there's tons of them right because there's no predation for these things and they're coming up the rivers and stuff and they're all over the place and you can literally see them you're out in your kayak and you'll see like a giant huge sea lion like these big blubbery animals just come up with like a, a seven foot fish in its mouth just crushing it with his jaws they can just swim down and crush these things on the bottom and it's becoming a problem because these white sturgeon you know number one it's a fishery that people like to tap into and fish just for sport because they're a battle it's a real battle but number two you know white sturgeon you don't want those things to become extinct they're like a super cool fish but um so what the government's doing is they're bringing in snipers at night and shooting sea lions in the most liberal town in the whole country and nobody knows about it except like hunters and stuff and this little community of people and they're putting them in a landfill they're just dumping them so that's that's the liberal approach, right? Is like let's just kill things and waste it just because it seems more virtuous mm -hmm. instead of using the meat. You know what I mean? Like, and that's true of all this. Like that's the direction that these nut jobs want to go with all of this stuff, right? And that's what that's where veganism takes you, right? It takes you into kind of like nonsense land where you end up you know, like just you can't manage populations of animals properly you know, your meats, you're ending up with more chemicals, more death ultimately with all the wildlife. So, you know, they would, if they were selling licenses for people to kill a, a couple sea lions, you know what I mean? People would love to do that and they would probably eat the meat and they would respect the animal. And it's a lot better than just wasting them. And the government would actually make money, you know, so the whole, it's just, it's just funny. It's kind of a side story, but it's a little known story that I thought was funny and interesting and a good reflection of kind of the same sort of thing where, you know, <laughs> hunting is an awesome thing to get into as well. And I know it's not as much your thing, but, you know, you can easily get a 30 odd six, like a long range rifle. Now you said you're in France right now. Yes. So it's a lot harder in Europe, right? Because they have like hunt clubs and it's basically an aristocratic thing where you, unless you make a ton of money, you can't join the club and you know what I mean? But come to America and do some hunting. You can do international hunting. Like I know a guy in America that does all kinds of international hunting. He goes to Latvia, you know, he goes duck hunting over in, uh, I can't even remember the little tiny country, but you can go down to, you know, Argentina and stuff like that. You can do all kinds of international hunting and just learn about it at least. And then that you get a lot of meat, you know, um, mm -hmm. how far, how far of a drive is it up to, Finland and Norway and Sweden. Is it like a 10 hour drive or, or less? Oh, longer, longer. Is it? But, um, okay. Yeah. The, 
there's people up there that would be more than happy to take me out. I'd be very, very interested mm-hmm. in uh, in going out and being part of it and, and learning. Uh, and just seeing, the learning you is know, worth it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the whole experience, just being outdoors, being in nature. And yeah, uh, yeah and if you do manage to, you know, uh, get that get that animal, whether it's a fish or a deer or moose, whatever they hunt up there, or, mm-hmm. you know, being part oh, yeah, of terrible. the... Um, how do you process the animal? Then how do you, you know, cook it and sitting around the open yep. fire under the stars? And, you know, th- that is primal stuff that we have yeah. just been so devoid of experiencing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's good for kids too. You know, like mm-hmm. my kids always watch me butcher stuff. They think it's totally normal. Like, and my, my friends, they, they raised a pig this year where, where I get all my bacon from is my own pig that my friend raised for me. It's a grass fed pig. It's called a mangalites pig. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a, one of these unusual pigs that can actually eat grass, which most of them can't. Mm-hmm. So it's a super healthy pig. And, uh, and he calls me up just recently. He's like, Hey, we got to butcher the pig. Do you want to just come out and shoot it in the head and butcher it yourself? Like he's comfortable with that with me because I do it all the time. Right. And I told him now I just send it to the shop and I'll just pay for it to be butchered because I don't have time. But you know, I've done that in other situations. Once you have that skill level, it's a free, it's a freeing thing, right? Because if the economy yeah. goes to hell or something, you have, at least you have the skill set and you realize how easy it actually is. And you're not skittish of it. You're not squeamish of it. And neither are your kids because it's a totally natural thing. How'd you do the bacon? And then you can go, I promise. How did I do the bacon? Yeah. So what, once, once what? you've got the pig, once you've um, butchered it and you've got all yeah. the cuts. I back, have somebody else make the bacon. <laughs> oh did, did, did i smoke it for you or is it in uh... yeah i i don't they they smoke it yeah and i i just tell them don't use these chemicals or anything unnatural or nitrates or any weird preservatives because i don't need any of that stuff um and my wife is more into cooking my wife is super in love with cooking she actually homeschooled growing up more than i did she homeschooled for her whole life and she's a super cook like she loves cooking that was part of her homeschooling that was part of her passion so I just stay out of it. I'm, I'm, an, I'm basically the guy that kills the thing. I butcher it and then I just give her the meat and she grinds the meat and she makes the sausage and whatever other kinds of stuff she wants to do, Polish sausage or whatever. So I, I'm actually not the guy to talk to on that one, but um, I'm, you know, I trust her, right? She's not going to put a bunch of sugar in the bacon, you know? <laughs> All right. Lot, lot, have you got to go? Have you got any time? I could do like three more minutes. Yeah. Okay. If you could... Usually I ask one final question. If you could orange pill anybody in the world, who would it be and why? And that means to give them, you know, your knowledge about Bitcoin. But I'm going to ask you, if you could um, estrogenic pill anybody Uh, in the world, who would it be (laughs) and why? Probably be Bill Gates, just because, and I'm sure you get that answer quite often, unfortunately. Partly because he owns so much of the farmland, right? He owns more farmland than anybody else in the country. And there's regenerative farming that you can do. That's really healthy for the land and it's really holistic and it it incorporates lots of different species and it it doesn't require spraying and all this other stuff. And man, if we could do that on a larger scale, it's going to take a big investment and a big mover, but unfortunately he's more going in the opposite direction, like more sprays, more pesticides, more fake chemicals, more technology, you know, that's his philosophy. So it'd be, 
that would probably be the choice for me just to really flip the flip the table <laughs> you missed more depopulation in bill gates list but oh yeah a conversation yeah, exactly. for another day anthony <laughs> technology right technology <laughs> all, all the right. same well how can people find you before we sign off so people can go and learn about yourself your youtube channels your books what's the best way yeah on youtube you can just search anthony j but on my website is ajconsultingcompany.com. Terrible website name. Just I came up with it a long time ago and I had a, started my consulting company, never changed it. ajconsultingcompany.com. All right. Excellent. You're not on Twitter, are you? Uh, not really, no. I'm on Instagram, though. All right. Well, I, I'll, I'll point people to, um, to Instagram. And um, thanks so much for, for agreeing for yeah. to come Good on. Talk to you. Uh, and yeah. thank you for your work and all of the knowledge that you're trying to spread. It's, uh, it's very, very important. So have a great 23. Thanks. And I look forward to, um, you know, meeting you one day and, uh, and having a further conversation. Thanks. Right on. Thanks. See you. Take care. Well, there you go, guys. I hope you enjoyed that rip with Anthony J. So much information in there. You can go and check out his book. Just pick it up. Estro Generation is the name of it. How estrogenics are making you fat, sick, and infertile. Uh, <laughs> and Texas Slim would be all over this, right? With the Texas Beef Initiative. You know, all of you Bitcoiners out there that have fallen down the rabbit hole of you know, how the food pyramid has been turned upside down. How we've been tricked into eating all of this chemical dog shit that is keeping us sick purposefully so these pharmaceutical companies can sell us the drugs to treat our symptoms rather than look at the root cause and the root cause is the shit we have been putting in our mouths and if you're of my generation and in my mid 40s if you remember people of my age growing up that's when it really started kicking into high gear because guess what it was just after 1971 the go big or go home initiative in the US where they started freaking planting these monocrops fence to fence and then before you know it every single breakfast table was full of this shit full of fake bread full of grains and chocolate coated cereals and all of it just pumped through our television screens to make us buy as much of it as possible and then hiding little toys in the cereal boxes to trick kids into is so disgusting it's so beyond vile what's been going on in our diets. And Anthony's done a great job of going that extra step. I mean, he's been so far down the rabbit hole of what's going on with these uh, estrogenics that we find in these products. Uh, we got a Bitcoiner here just waiting to, um, waiting to fall down the rabbit hole. Anthony, uh, reach out anytime to ask any questions about Bitcoin. We'd love to uh, answer any questions that you might have about it and and how it might you know help free your family from any financial burdens of this crumbling system in which we live in fiat clown world uh right guys that's it that's the end of the show thank you so much for listening i hope to see you around town this year at some point get to one of the conferences links are in the show notes use code bitten to get your discounts to miami and use code Bitten as well to get your discounts to Prague. Uh, Sailor's just been announced for the Prague conference, so that's going to be pretty cool. 
and I think there's that's going to be a big one and is very competitively priced. So make sure you're checking out your calendars <coughs> to see if you can make these events. Get on Orange Pill app. I've got an interview with Matteo, the founder, coming out pretty soon. I think you'll be interested to hear what he's got to say. But give it a whirl before that interview and see if there's anybody close by to you that you can go and meet and start a meetup with uh, and start educating your local community. Make sure you're stacking with Swan, Relay, Hoddle Hoddle and Coin Corner. Try out the CoinJoin service at Wasabi, but please stack safe. Use a hardware wallet. Get the BitBox 02 Bitcoin only edition from Shit Crypto. I'll catch you guys on the next rip. Thank you so much for listening.